love stories, don't we? Our culture is surrounded and is enthralled with stories. It's why, um, it's why lines are outside waiting for movies at midnight, right? It's why um, we can't wait to buy, we've pre-ordered the next book or the next video game because we want to be a part involved in the story. When you were kids or if you have toddlers, you know how valuable this is to that age, right? Because they're 73,000 times a night. They come out just, will you read me a story? You know, the ones that you can memorize or, or speak words to word, for, word for word. We all crave a story. It's just in us. Our cultures build around stories. You are, I am, I'll, I'll just go ahead and I've realized this, some self-awareness. I'm the guy that always has a better story. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the guy that you hate to talk to. You're like, I just don't want to tell him this story because he's going to be like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of a story that happened in my life. I know that I'm that guy, and I hate that I'm that guy. And in the middle of me telling you a story, I'm like, oh, crap, I'm being that guy. But we're, that's, that's what we're all about. Like, our whole culture is surrounded by stories. Today, I'm going to invite you to be a part of a story that will last more than your 80 years of life here. I'm going to invite you and hopefully give value from God's word to your story. And so what we're going to do as we go through the, the story, okay, so if you're I'm familiar, I don't have the book with me, but there's a book that was published, it's called The Story, and what it did is it took the Bible, didn't add to it, didn't take away, like it didn't change words to make it say what it wanted, but what it did for us was allow us to read the Bible as a narrative, as a story like you would any other book. And so we're going through that for the next few weeks just to give you, uh, all of our friends here, a little glimpse of what we're going to do. We're going to roll this. We're going to go through the story all the way till our first birthday, March 18th, uh, which we have a special announcement that we will make next week about our March 18th birthday. I know I've teased about announcements, but we definitely have one for you next week. Um, so March 18th, uh, we'll take a break. We'll go through the month of April, and then we'll jump back in. And then we'll take a break for the summer and jump back in the fall, okay? So when you're on vacation, you don't have to stress, like, I'm missing the story. I know you will. So what we're going to do is open up God's Word and look at the story. If you need a Bible, uh, you can raise your hand, and we'd love to give you one. We want that to be your Bible. Take it home, be yours. Uh, you can download the Restore Church app. Um, and you can follow along there. Uh, we have a portion of the Bible there. You can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app, and you should be able to search under the live events and see Restore Church on there. Uh, once we get settled, uh, we got, uh, if you want to go ahead and open up your, your Bible, and if you have the story, the copy of the story, it's going to be on page one. Um, it's going to be the very first words in there. So Genesis uh, the very first book of the Bible, um, I think it's page one, it is, I'm glad that was funny to somebody. Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and it was empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
I've said this plenty of times, and I will say it another million times. For as long as you go to Restore Church, you will always hear this when we talk about this passage. The first five words of the Bible are the most important words, not only in Scripture, but it's the most important words listed in all of mankind. These first five words, if you can believe these first five words, you can believe anything else in all of Scripture. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth are more than five, but you know what I'm saying. In the beginning, God created. Those are the five words, five words you can remember. In the beginning, God created. Um, this is not like some of the movies now. I, I'm not a movie buff. I, 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 I tend to be watching a movie and think about all the other things I could be doing than wasting my time in a fictional movie that's got no implication on my life. So sorry to throw shade at you movie lovers. Anyway, um, here's most movies. If I'm going to be into a movie, it's got to start now. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you'll be flipping through movies on Netflix and you'll like just pick some random movie and you'll start to watch and you're like, come on, man, this is, we got to roll. We got to go. I don't care about the house you used to live in 37 years ago. I want to know who you are now. You know, you'll watch a movie for 15 minutes and not know who the main character is. And all it is is titles, like credits, like do this at the end, right? When I'm already asleep. (laughs) The Bible starts off with a bang, not the big bang, but a bang. It starts off from the very beginning, and I don't know, some of us have been become callous to this verse, including me, because I've been in the church for a while now, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In, the, in this story, we know who the main character is from the beginning. The main character, listen, we can't miss this. The main character of the story is God. And if you were to watch a movie that starts with the action immediately or something important happening in the first five minutes and you miss it, you're going to miss the rest of the story. You're going to spend the rest of your time guessing about who the main character is. You're going to watch movies like my sister does and ask questions every 45 seconds about who's this, what are they doing, what, you know what I'm saying? Look, in the Bible, if we miss who the main character is, our worldview and our interpretation of the Bible will be skewed. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we'll say, man, Abraham, which we'll read a lot about Abraham over the next few weeks, or or Moses, uh, we'll read a lot about him. We're going to read a ton about Jesus right here at Restore. It's all about Jesus. But if we weren't to get this, we're going to miss it. We also might end up interpreting this, that the Bible's about us, and you're not the main character of the story. God is. And so... As we keep going, I think it's important for us to know uh, who the main character is. We're going to read quite a few verses here in a minute. I want you to stick with me. We're going to read through the account of creation. And there's so much written here, right? There's so much written about these six days. In in Christendom, we argue about are they 24-hour days or are they just long periods of time? Um, outside of Christendom, they, you know, uh, there's evolution theory and Big Bang theory, right? There's a lot that's written about these uh, six days. 
But what I want to do when we get finished about reading uh, these six days is I'm hoping that it will give you, one, not only a view of God's power, but I'm hoping that it will give more meaning to, so we call it the upper story and our lower story, right? I hope that um, when we're finished today, we can get a, a view of that. There's a young girl, and she was on her way to school with her mom, and she asked her mom, Mom, where do humans come from? And the mom really calmly and pas- or and, and uh, whatever else, she said to her, the story's not real, so it doesn't matter how she said it. She said to her, um, God, God created us. Oh, okay. So later that afternoon when the little girl got home, she asked her dad, Dad, how did humans get here? And he said, well, over millions of years, humans uh, evolved from monkeys. Of course, the girl's confused. Um, and so she goes back to mom and says, Mom, look, I asked you who created us, and you said God. I asked dad who created us, and dad said it was monkeys. Who cre- we came from monkeys. Who- where did we come from? And the mom put the, her hand on the daughter and said, See, baby, I described to you my side of the family. Your dad described his. It's really hard for us to fathom what we're about to read. Everything we see has had a beginning. Everything we think, we read, everything we taste, right? Everything we, we have experienced in our life has had a beginning. Let this settle for a moment. That God has always existed. He has not had a beginning. And there, in the sense of formlessness, he decided that he was going to create. Now, when you go home this afternoon, you're going to make lunch, or you're going to make coffee, or you're going to, those two are the only thing that matters in this world, so food and coffee. So you're going to go home and and do those things, right? And here's what you're going to do. You're going to get food out of your refrigerator, right? Yeah, watch the Steelers win. You're going to get food out of your refrigerator, and then you're going to make a sandwich, And you're going to use materials and you're going to use tools to create your sandwich, right? Everything we create, has it comes from a substance and it comes from tools. God created, write this down or try to remember this, from ek nihilo, which means from nothing and with nothing. From nothing, no ingredients, with nothing, no tools. Just with the very words that he speaks. It's hard for me to grab, put my head around that power. Listen to this power. Here we go. We're going to go slowly, but we're going to read through Genesis chapter 1. Check out God's power here. And God said, whew, and God said, let there be light. And he flipped the switch, right, and light came on. <laughs> God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was the evening, and there was morning the first day. And then God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and so, so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. 
And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land. And the gathered waters he called seas. Listen to this part. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds, and it was so. And the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kind. And God, check it out, and God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the third day. You still following with me? And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky and give them light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate lights from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. I hope that this is resting with you. I mean, we're going to read the rest of this. We're not going to punk out, right, and miss it. But God's just creating from nothing, with nothing, by only speaking, right? I mean, if that's not power, then I don't know what is. Verse 20. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly uh, above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the living creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and moves about in it according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and the seas and let the birds increase in the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, day five. And then God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds and livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals and according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. So God's got all of this creation. He's created uh, the day and night, day one. He created the sky on day two. He created the water and the land on day three. Day four, he created the sun and the moon. Uh, day five, he created the birds. And then so far on day six, he's created animals. And it's almost as if, like, like it's good, Right? God saw that it was good, but it was like, God's like, this is just not enough. And what I'm going to try to get, we're going to try to get to this morning is, that's exactly what it was. Nothing he had created to this point was worth or able or capable to have a relationship with him. And God didn't just create so that he can sit back and enjoy his painting, right? To sit back and just watch it and stare at it like a picture on the wall. But instead, he created it so that he could participate with it, so that he could hurt, well, not in creation, so that he could love and enjoy and talk and walk um, 
and love his creation. Watch how this goes. Verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and all over the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created his created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Skip down to verse 31. And God saw what he had made, check this out, and saw that it was very good. And there was the sixth, or there was the evening and the morning, the sixth day, and then we know on the seventh day, God rested. All right, everyone take a deep breath. That was a lot of verses that we just read together. Verse 26 might throw a little curveball at you because what it says here is, um, let us make mankind in our image. You know, God created everything, so I don't, who, who else is here? We need to theologically let this settle that God is there, Jesus is present in creation, and the Holy Spirit is present as well. The Trinity is in the first chapter of Genesis. And it makes sense for us to, um, to, to understand this as we're trying to figure out who we are. Listen, at the end of each day, what did God say about his creation? It was good, right? And God saw that it was good. What happens at the end of day six after he creates mankind? It's very good. And then he walks away as if there's nothing more to create. Notice this, that it was after he created mankind, after God created mankind, that he is now fully satisfied in his creation. And then he rests. If you're going to walk away with anything, I hope this more than just one thing, but I want you to walk away with this. You, we, all of us, we were created to have a relationship with God. That is your purpose of creation. God created Adam and Eve so that they could have a relationship with God. The only thing in creation that was capable of having a relationship with God is the only thing that's created in God's image. Nothing else. So we were created to be in relationship with God. That's why we long for his presence That's why it's so peaceful. That's why you feel so good after coming to church and worshiping or being in a Bible study is because you have come in contact with God and that is in your wiring, it's in your design. Now, I want you to imagine for a second with me what it was like when God created everything. Like, it's just God. And then in a matter of six days, he speaks everything in existence. I don't know if it's like a big, a big sound. You know, I don't know if like waves and then all of a sudden, like, you know, the old television screen and it, and then all of a sudden the picture comes in clear. But what I imagine, what I imagine it being like is God sitting down at his canvas, right? It's what we can imagine it looking like and. And he, he creates, and the angels are like peering over his shoulder like, ooh, 
oh, that's pretty good, you know. And, and at the end of six days, or at the end of five days, five and a half, God has created everything. But nothing was good enough for a relationship with him until he put his hands in the dust and created humans. You have had, you have been touched by God as he crafted and created you to have a relationship with him. You know, there's a lot of reasons why I can't believe in evolution. I, I think I'm going to blog uh, as we go through the story. Not that, that I'm in that important, that, that I need a blog, but there's a lot of things we're missing, right? Like, we should be able to talk about evolution here and to have good conversations and to give you tools uh, to learn and to talk with your friends who believe in evolution. And so I'll, I'll put some of those things up on my blog this week, but there's, there's a few reasons why I can't believe in evolution, a lot of them, lack of archaeological evidence, people who are putting together arguments in order to form it, but a lot more of our world points to an intelligent designer, and we believe that's God, but here's, here's really why I can't believe in evolution. Evolution says we're an accident, right? You're, you're an accident. We got here because of the right things came together and there was a spark. Here's what creation tells you. Creation tells you that you're, you were created on purpose for a purpose. Evolution says that at the end of 80, you're done, right? You just become word food or worm food, but at the end of creation, we become partners with God. We're in his presence for eternity. I think the application here for us is whatever the world tries to sell you, right, students, whatever science teachers are trying to teach you, uh, whatever your friend pulls off of Wikipedia and shows you, you were created on purpose. And so... You know, I don't know if I need to say this, but I'm going to. Um, women, you're, you're beautiful the way you are, right? And the world is going to tell you otherwise, but God tells you that you are perfect. Men, you're enough. God's got you just the way you are. He wired you just the way you are. Now, let's be a little weird. Guys, you're beautiful. <laughs> Um, seriously. Uh, and God created you the way you are. Ladies, you're enough. Just the way you are, God created you that way. Spouses, I'm going to give you this responsibility. You need to tell each other that often. Not because of the way you look, but because of the way that you're created by God. All right, now that we're done being weird. So Genesis 1 ends. It's going to be a long sermon if we keep going this way. Um, we'll, we'll wrap real quick. Genesis chapter 1 ends and goes into Genesis chapter 2. And we see the perfect place, the Garden of Eden. We see that God created a perfect place for everything to exist. There's no sin. There's no hurting. There's no pain. There's a little bit of work, but all love, right? All of that right in the Garden of Eden. And, uh, however, in the, mix, in the midst of perfection in Genesis chapter 2, we see that something is listed as not good. Genesis chapter 1, it's all good, right? It's all good, it's all good, it's all good, it's all good. And then he creates Adam, and Adam's, 
And then God says, man, it's very good. And then we get to Genesis chapter 2. And Genesis chapter 2 lists something as being not good. Here it is. Genesis chapter 2. Start with me in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Check that out, y'all. We were created to work. Okay? Even in the garden, Adam is working. All right. That's not a soapbox I'm trying to get on. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when you eat from it, or when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Verse 18, And then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. So I will make a helper or Maybe your translation says a partner, a workmate, suitable for him. He created everything. It was good. It's more of a detailed account of day six. God creates Adam, and then the Bible tells us that it is not good for what? For us to be in isolation. We were created to have deep, meaningful, life-lasting, life-giving relationships with one another. You and I were not created for isolation. So what have we learned from Genesis 1 and 2? That we are to love God and love each other. Man, I, I want to tell you, if you um, maybe, maybe it's your first Sunday here, maybe you've been coming for a while, you're asking a lot of questions about who God is, or maybe you don't believe in God at all and you just find this to be a place that you like the coffee, that's awesome. Um, we want you to know this is a safe place for you to ask questions. We want you to know that this is a perfect place for you to ask and discover God, but you need to hear me tell you this. You belong here. We want you here. We're not going to tell you to leave because you don't believe what we believe. We would at one point like for you to believe that, but we want this to be a safe place for you. You're a Christian. You're a part of Restore Church. This is your family. Listen, you belong. there's a responsibility to belong to each other. If you're living in isolation, you're not created to be that. And get in a small group. Get in a micro group. Uh, talk to people. Here's one challenge. If you don't know someone's name today, go learn someone's name and then um, go eat lunch with them. They'll, they'll pay for it. I don't know how that's going to work, but good luck. In our very being, there are two things that surface. We find our, our fulfillment with God and in with, with other people. Listen, this story's starting to get boring for me because Genesis 1 and 2, it's like perfect, right? Man, I would love to, to have lived there. I would, I would build a fence around the tree and be like, Eve, stay away. Be like a dog. Ah, 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 no, no. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. Um, but then, you know, next week I would have been eaten out of the, oh, it was this tree. Sorry, I forgot. I would have loved to have been there. But uh, we get introduced to the antagonist in Genesis chapter 3. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. We got the hustle. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals in the Lord, or that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree uh, in the garden? All right, here we go. Look. He fi Satan finds Eve in a weak moment. He twists what God says. And then he challenges her, right? He says, look, did he really say that? Because here's what happens. If you eat, you're going to be just like God. You're going to know what God knows. And then it, later it says that it was, 
uh, Eve saw that the fruit or apple was good for the flesh and pleasing to the eye, and so she ate it. Look, y'all, Satan is still doing this garbage today. He's still twisting God's word. He's still uh, having us believe what we want to about the Bible. Like, it's okay. You just make it say what you want, and it's, it's all good. Like, he's taking God's word, and he's twisting it. And then what he does for us is he finds us in our weak moments, and then he says, oh, come on, isn't, isn't it going to feel good? Aren't you going to look better in the presence of other people? And he challenges our pride. Maybe it's just me that he does that to. Maybe y'all are immune to that. If you do, just let me know how that works. I want to, uh, we need to say this. Satan is the father of lies. The Bible calls him that. And, you know, you've got to be the one to decipher if, if he's lying to you. Right now, Eve ate of the tree. She found Adam, and he ate also. Um, they're both equal partners in this sin. Eve is not the only one to blame. You know, when an artist paints a picture, the what we call the original is the one that uh, that we see. Right, the painting on the the canvas. The real original is the one that's in their mind. And no artist ever has ever painted a picture where it's been exactly like the one in their mind, except for God. This is why I'm awful at art. I've got beautiful pictures in my mind, but then when I finish, it's like Aaron won't even hang them on the refrigerator. You know? <laughs> God painted a perfect picture, and now he descends on the place where it used to be perfect, and now it's tainted. It's tainted with sin. Genesis chapter 3 is the saddest day in human history. Genesis chapter 3 is the precursor to terrorism, mass murders. It's the precursor to divorce and adultery. It's the precursor to whatever ailment you're feeling today. It's the precursor to the sin that's in your life that's destroying your family. It's the precursor to addiction and depression. It's the precursor to um, every piece of sin that you experience in your life. And I, I was sharing in our backstage this morning, <laughs> service this morning and got a little animated because... Um, You've got to get angry at this. God created a place for us to be perfect, right? To live in a perfect place with him and be in the presence of God. And you know what? All we ever known, all we have ever known is destruction and death, division and hatred. And we live in a, a world that is We've got our default set on hate, right? Like, we, we love to hate. Man, God created a place where, where we didn't have any of that. And it's so counterintuitive to try to figure out what, what it's like to be in the presence of God anymore because we spend most of our days reading and watching about what it's like to be apart from God and experiencing all of that. Man, you have got to get angry at Genesis 3. 
with the problems in your life? Genesis 3. The sin that's dividing your family? Genesis 3. The death that just happened? Genesis 3. Or the cancer that just hit your family? It, it, it has just hit mine. Genesis 3. Oh, I'm going to cuss at Satan. Not now, later. <laughs> God creates life. Satan destroys. Over the next few pages of the Bible, <clears throat> God creates life through Adam and Eve. And Satan destroys it, Cain and Abel. God creates life as people increase and multiply and Satan perverts a generation with sin. Causes God to start over with, uh, with Noah. Satan still does this now, doesn't he? Satan still destroys marriages with sin. He destroys family with hard hearts. He destroys lives with addiction. He steals, kills, and destroys. We can't expect anything less. That's what Satan does. Um, and so we just kind of buckle up and, and kind of expect it, don't we? You know what God does? He restores. Pun completely intended. He restores. It doesn't matter what walk of life you're in today. You need restoration. You might be here today for the first time. You might be here as a lifelong Christian, but there's something in your life right now that needs restoration. It, can't, it comes from nowhere else. It can come from nowhere else than the Creator who knows the original and knows exactly how you're wired and pieced together. Look, I'm excited for what's going to come next. I'm excited for the next few weeks and as we go through, through the story. But let's not, let's not get this thing twisted. Who's the main character? It's God. Over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to see this. We're going to see God's relentless pursuit of people. That's how we're going to phrase the story. It's the story of God's relentless pursuit to have us back. And uh, I don't know if, I don't think we read this. In Genesis chapter 3, after, the, uh, after uh, Adam and Eve eat of the fruits, God comes and he gives punishments to, uh, for, for sin. And um, the first one he gives to Satan. He gives to the women uh, pain and childbearing. Ladies who are about to give birth, don't scream at your husband. Just yell, Genesis 3, Genesis 3. <laughs> um, guys, or it says for, for men, um, it's going to be more difficult uh, to work. And so when you're at work, instead of cussing at your boss, just say, Genesis 3, Genesis 3. But for Satan, he caused it on himself, right? And so here's, here's what Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 says. This is God's punishment for Satan. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Uh, we, I love this one. And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. It's the first prophecy of Jesus is in Genesis chapter 3, Verse 15, from the very beginning, God put into, uh, into motion 
the acts to be able to get us back. And it comes from Jesus. You need to be restored. It's going to come through Jesus. You need to give your life to Jesus, to, to, to God. It's going to come through Jesus. Um, man, I, I hope, hope that as you read the creation, you see that you are the crown, that we as mankind are the crown of creation, and that we were created to have a relationship with God and a relationship with each other. But it all comes through through Jesus. God, we love you, and I'm glad that you're the main character. All right, let us not forget that. Let us not uh, grow weary of life and forget that there was a place in which you created perfection. Um, God, the way you intended for us to have a relationship with you, uh, I pray that we as, as people, and that it becomes new to us, fresh to us, God, I pray that, uh, that you're moving in here today in our hearts and, and in our minds and in our lives. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.